0: hey everyone this is becoming a bible nerd i'm carrie hunt and i'm so glad that you are joining us we believe this ancient eastern text was never meant to study alone so we choose to do it in community we'll take one book a semester one chapter a week and really dig in to understand the context and the culture that the book was written in so that we can better understand how to apply what god was saying to our lives Our goal is to equip you and your community to fall more in love with Jesus because you have fallen in love with his word. This season, we're going through the book of Romans, and today's episode is Romans chapter 11, from him, through him, and to him. Well, this is our last portion on the theology part of the book. And we are going to end this strong. We are going to tackle this, and it's such a good chapter, and it's jam-packed with a lot of stuff. So let's get busy. Um, we are going to talk—I'm um, going to go ahead and read this first section. We're going to do some reading today. It says, I ask then, Paul saying this, Has God rejected his people? Absolutely not. For I, too, am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or don't you know what the scripture says about the passage about Elijah and how he pled with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left and they are trying to take my life. But what was God's reply to him? I have left 7,000 men for myself who have not bowed down to Baal. In the same way, then, there is also at this present time a remnant chosen by grace. Now, if by grace, then it is not by works. Otherwise, grace ceases to be grace. What then? Israel did not find what it was looking for, but the elect did find it. The rest were hardened as it is written. God gave them a spirit of insensitivity, eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear to this day. And David says, let their feasting become a snare and a trap. pitfall and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent continually. So we start off and there's this assumed question here. Is God through with Israel because of their rejection of the person of Jesus, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ? And Paul's response right off the bat is absolutely not. He shows that he is an Israelite he, and he gives his credentials. He's saying, I'm God's chosen just like you are and I wasn't rejected. God is not in the business of rejecting his children. So then he goes into this story reminding us of the prophet Elijah in his plea with God against Israel because Israel had turned their backs against God. The backstory is Elijah is referring to Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Ahab was Israel's queen who married a foreign, his king, the Israel's king. And he married a foreign queen. And she led the, the um, nation into apostasy, into worshiping other gods. And they were after, especially Queen Jezebel, she was after Elijah's life. And he thought he was alone and serving God. And so he ends up in 1 Kings 19, you can read this passage, where he's begging God to take his life. He would rather God take his life than Queen Jezebel. Well, this is what we know about Elijah. And God did something really personal and sweet in my life through this chapter. And I'm going to share some of that with you this morning as we go through this. But Elijah was the prophet of all prophets. Whenever we look at the prophets in the Bible, it was Elijah that was standing with Jesus and Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration. So that is a pretty big deal. And many scholars conject that he is going to be one of the two witnesses in the end days and the last days in the book of Revelation. Three times Elijah was fed by a divine supply of food, ravens, a widow, and an angel. He brought a drought onto the land. Now he does all this through the power of the Holy Spirit, but um, it is, I mean, it is him who is is calling this forth. He made a widow's meal and oil multiply. He brought back her child to life. Um, His sacrifice... Whenever he goes against the prophets of Baal, the story that Paul is referring to in 1 Kings. And if you aren't familiar with it, a great read. Go read chapter 19. But his, he goes against the prophets of Baal. They're in a drought and they're trying to light an altar. And the prophets of Baal do all of this commotion. I mean, they are crying out to their gods. They are cutting themselves, doing all this commotion. And nothing happens. The gods do not move. Well, it's time for his sacrifice. And he has his prophets pour three different times buckets of water on an altar. Now, I don't know if, like, if we stop and think about that, how is that going to light when it's wet and it's saturated? And then he calls down fire from heaven and the altar is consumed. I brought an end to the drought, rain came. And um, another magnificent thing he did was that he divided the Jordan River. Um, He outran a chariot, and he actually was taken to heaven by a chariot of fire. He did not die, he was just swooped up into the heavens. So this guy is the prophet of prophets. I mean, does and sees powerful things in the name of Jesus. Sees God move like most people in the Bible had never seen God move. Well, whenever he defeats the prophets of Baal and the the, the prophets were slaughtered, Jezebel is outraged and she makes it her mission to destroy him. She's going to kill him. And he runs for his life. This is his first response. He ran and he ran and ran and ran. And then he finally sat down when he was tired enough and he asked God to take his life. In this moment, he is completely Overwhelmed by just the, the 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 things of life, it literally took an angel to take care of him. The angel would wake him. We see him sleeping for forty days, and you know that that makes us think of a severe depression. But the angel wakes him up to feed him, and the angel's message isn't to coddle him to hug him, to tell him it's okay. He's literally giving him exactly what he needs to live. But his message is wake up, get up. He's not allowing Elijah just to wallow in self-pity. He's not allowing him to stop. And Elijah's... Response is I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. Remember how important that was—the zealous serving of the God and um, of God in the last chapter—and how Paul said so many times the Israelites have done this and they've been misguided. And um, he ends up. So Paul, I mean, I'm sorry. Elijah says, "I have zealously served you, but Israel has broken their covenant with you, and I'm the only one left, and they are trying to kill me too." ultimate pity party, ultimate despair. I mean, this isn't just that he's a whiny baby. This is complete, he's wiped out. This is complete depression and all he can see is a lie that he is the only one left and that they are after him. Well, God's response is to tell him that there is a 7,000 member remnant that he has reserved for himself. And that they have not bowed down to Baal. It's his remnant, his plan. We don't always see it, but he has a substantial remnant. Um, A remnant is a body of true believers whom the Lord preserves in the midst of an apostate nation. And God doesn't need a large group to work with. Remember, he's 12 Who the and and really it grew to 120 people that were in the upper room that day that the Holy Spirit came, but He used that tiny remnant to change the world. We're here, you're listening today. We're reading through the Bible together today because of this teeny tiny remnant. And in Elijah's day, there was seven thousand, and Paul is saying that there is even a remnant in this chosen. Age and it is by the grace of God. It is God's plan. So, how does this re um? How does this uh, tie back to me and um, the story that I wanted to share? It's not really a lot to do with the lesson, but I do just want to pause and share a testimony because I believe that God moves powerfully in our testimonies. And you know, I am in the middle of this is going full time with Bible Nerds. So. In September, I stepped down from full-time ministry after 17 years um, in a church, full-time ministry in a church. We are always, all of us live in full-time ministry, but a paid position at a church pastoring. Um, I stepped down in September because I believed God was leading me to to enter into this Bible nerd full-time. I don't really exactly understand it all, but by faith, I chose to do that. And my first week that I was starting to work from home newly also goes in and resigns. Now this was not part of our plan back in January when we prayerfully made the decision for me to resign. This is not where I saw my life going, but um it was crazy about a month or not not even a month, 2 weeks before he resigned, the Lord spoke clearly to us and just through 17 years of ministry There have been other times that we have heard the Lord speak and we have dragged our feet because we were comfortable and we loved where we were at and we didn't want change. And so we would pray and we wanted to make sure we were hearing right and we even sometimes would pray that God's mind would be changed. And what we had discovered is delayed obedience is disobedience. So this time... You know, We're like, we're not doing that again, and we jump on it, and we are obedient, and we don't know what the future holds. And so while I've been keeping this journal of all the ways that God has been speaking to us through other people and just through supernatural things that have just been phenomenal, and I've been reading through those so that I can remember and praise him, but um, there was a day this week, it was Sunday, that it just all hit me. There has been a huge wait just since um, walking into this in September, um, the very first week that that, that my, I came on full time and worked from home and my husband resigned and we didn't know what our plan was. We just heard God. Four members of our team, including myself, my husband, got into a car wreck and totaled their car our three of them were totaled and I believe that one of them was just like a hit and run, but four members on the team on our first week had significant car wrecks. One of our team members um, was diagnosed with cancer within this first month. There has been another that has just had sickness through our house one after another for the past month. Um, several of the team members have just talked about this overwhelming funk that has come in over them, and then, of course, personally, we have this major transition with newly and I and our quick obedience. But this Sunday, it just hit me. It was I was overwhelmed with the weight of this, and then the grief, grieving of walking away from a life that we thought we would retire in. You know, we pictured ourselves in church leadership until retirement and so although this can be exciting and an adventure and all these things I also needed to just grieve, and boy, did I grieve, and it wasn't just a grieving of, okay, God, I trust you, um, and I will, you know, I I believe something for the better. It truly was this, these lies from the enemy, you know, God is done with us, he doesn't want to use us, Um, we, I mean, it was just, you wouldn't believe the lies that were just overwhelming me. So, um I laid in bed and you know tried to fool my family. They could tell something was off, but you know, I'm not very good at um pretending. And the next day everybody goes to school and work. Newly starts this new job. Thank you Jesus. And I Just am not even wanting to study. I'm not wanting to study this chapter, but I have to. (laughs) And I listened to a podcast. I studied for a little bit, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to put on a podcast on this chapter because I do listen to people that teach exegetically like I do, verse by verse. And there is this pastor that I love, and I don't know his name. And I don't really even know the name of his church, but he is in Ohio. His podcast, like they podcast their sermons. And it has no picture for the podcast and it really doesn't promote anything about their church. They just happen to throw the sermons up there. And through me learning or listening to him through the years, I have discovered that he must have about a thousand member church. I mean, it's a pretty significant church, but it just seems to be mom and pop. And I just love everything about it because he is so humble. And the things that this pastor has done, I mean, he doesn't just preach it. He walks out, like adoption, moving strangers into their home, you know, just serving the community. I just absolutely love him. And I've nicknamed him Pastor Ohio. So Pastor Ohio is teaching through the book of Romans. And he does one chapter a week in his church, similar to myself. And I go to chapter 11 And he has four different sermons on this one chapter. And so, of course, I start at the beginning. It's the first four verses. He has a whole sermon. And this whole thing, they don't title their messages, but what I would title it is Get Over Yourself. He teaches on Elijah in this specific instance where he is absolutely overwhelmed with life and feels hopeless and is ready to just end his life. And he talks about how this angel says, wake up get up and he just really goes into how we as the american church have this picture of comfort and what's in it for us, and you can live your best life, and all of these things, and the gospel are really from the beginning of Genesis. This is a story of a broken world. We have been exiled from the garden, but a God who is working so tirelessly, and part of his plan is to give his son up on a cross to be brutally murdered so that all things can be restored, and we are invited to join in on this, but this journey of the restoration of all things is going to be difficult and it is going to come with seasons of being overwhelmed because you just look up and you think that the enemy is defeating you and you think that you're the only one that cares and I in that moment I didn't feel like I was the only one that cares but there's going to be in times in life where you just want to throw the flag in and think say I lose the enemy won," and that is when God will send an angel of the Lord to say wake up get up It's time to get up. And as he was speaking this, oh, he was stepping on my toes and saying, like, get over yourself. I mean, he must have said that four times, and he's such a kind and gentle man, but The Holy Spirit was just stirring in me. It was that time. I needed time to sleep. I wallowed for a day, but it was time to get up and get over myself. What blew me away and what I love about God and what made me feel so loved by him is that this pastor spoke this message in 2012. And I felt like it was so random that he broke this one particular chapter up into four parts. And he spent an hour talking about these first four verses. And God had ordained that here, 10 years later, on the very day that I was studying Romans 11, that I would roll out of bed and need to hear that message. That is love that 10 years earlier he would impress on this pastor's heart to speak this timely message to the church. And so I am telling you that this just jumped off the pages at me. So God does not need a large group to do anything. He needs you. He needs me. He needs our obedience. And even when we don't see him moving, there is a movement. There are 7,000 that he had reserved for himself, a remnant of true believers that God had preserved in the midst of an apostate nation. Amen. So then Israel, um, Israel. Then Paul goes into this segment that I read before. The last three verses is this, this section. seven, eight, nine, and 10 really. And it is quotes. Like in my Bible it's dark black because it's quotes from the Old Testament. Man, Paul quotes from the Old Testament a lot in this book. And this was called a rabbinic harez, haraz. H-A-R-A-Z. And this was a method of choosing citations, very common with the rabbis, from the law of Moses, from the prophets, and from the writings. So here he takes something from Deuteronomy, which is the law, Isaiah, which was a prophet, and Psalms, which was one of the writings, to prove that God was the one that hardened the hearts. Um, of his children for a purpose to bring the Gentiles in to this covering. And I love that, um, you know, we talked about Jesus hardening the hearts, and this is kind of a hard thing to swallow, but remember that he gives us the desires of our heart. So he didn't just look at a group of people that absolutely were passionately, madly in love with him and, and serving him in humility and trusting him and just harden their hearts. These were people that already had turned their hearts from God, um, looking inwardly at pride, worshiping false gods, hardening their heart. And he hardened their heart even more for a season. And that's what the message is today. Verse 8 says he gave them a spirit of insensitivity. This is an attitude of deadness towards spiritual things. The Jews were so secure in being the chosen children that their pride ruined them. And I see this as a warning for the church today. There's so many in the church today that I believe are in a are walking in a spirit of insensitivity. They are just dead to spiritual things. They're not even really aware that there is this supernatural world out there that is on the move and that we have to wear our full armor for God and take it by force. And so there is um, a group of people that are just secure in their tradition. Oh, I go to church on Sunday. I'm a good person. And they, just like the Jews, are so secure in these things that their pride is lulling them to sleep. Moving on, we read that Israel stumbled, but they don't fall from the uh, from God's purpose and plan. And Paul uses Deuteronomy 32 um, to remind us that Jesus says, "I will make them jealous with those who are not my people." And God, I find this fascinating because God works this plan together. He hardens Israel's heart. You know, He gives them the desires of their heart. They want to be hardened and he does this so that the gentiles will accept Christ and salvation but then the acceptance of the gentiles or the point that the gentiles accept Christ sparks a jealousy into Israel where it will lead them to eventually return it goes full circle god's plans are so good god provokes israel to jealousy by offering salvation to those who do not um by offering salvation to those who don't believe The gospel in Acts went out first. I do want to point this out, that the gospel in Acts went out first to the Jew. Then it was offered to the Gentile as the Jews rejected it. But Jesus was very clear in the beginning. He even tells his disciples, don't go out and about. Stay in the nation of Israel. Reach them first. And Edie was doing her Bible study this morning, I believe it's in Mark um, that she's in, and she was really struggling with a piece, and she's like, Mom, I need you to come over here and help me understand this, and she was struggling. It was a story of a Syrophoenician woman that goes to Jesus, so she is a foreigner, she's not a Jew, she goes to Jesus and she begs for the healing of her daughter who's demon possessed, and Jesus looks at her and says, let the children be fed first, it's not fair to take their food and give it to the dogs. Well, oh, that lit a fuse in Edie. I mean, she was like, why would he say that? Well, the purpose of it is, and it can sound harsh. Remember, there's translations involved. And there's also a 2000 years in a completely different culture um, that is involved in this. But what Jesus was communicating to her is I am here to reach my children first. And then she didn't know, but his plan was then to go into the Gentiles. Well, she comes back and says, yes, but doesn't the dogs, aren't the dogs even allowed to go eat the crumbs from the children? Basically, I just need a crumb and your my daughter will be healed. Well, just her speaking those words, Jesus looked at her and said, oh, your daughter is healed. It's such a beautiful story, but G- uh, but this morning Edie was wrestling with the fact that That Jesus was only willing to heal the Jews first. But that is what his calling was. That was his mission to his father. But then he actually hardens their hearts so that the word can go out to the Gentiles. And then in verse 12, let me get to that. It says... Now, if their stumbling brings riches to the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more would their fullness and number bring? This fullness and number is talking about completion. That is a word of completion. So we know through Revelation, we know through scriptures that they will return to Jesus one day. And Paul is saying, wow, if their hardened hearts brought salvation to the world, Because remember, all blessings flow through Israel. It was a promise to Abraham. How much more will the world be blessed when Israel returns to God? Well, that immediately makes me think of a banquet. Whenever the prodigal child came home to the, the father, he threw the biggest banquet to welcome his child in. And it has been prophesied through Jesus that there will be a banqueting table one day at the very end of the world where Armageddon The enemy has been defeated and there will be a banqueting table. So for me, when I look at this, I don't exactly know if I'm understanding properly. But what I see is when the fullness or completeness and number come in, when the the Israelites have turned back to Jesus, there will be blessings flow through the world because the world... All will be complete. The restoration of all things will have been completed. We will sit down at a banqueting table because Jesus' prodigal child has returned and we will celebrate in the new kingdom. It really pumps me up. Now, verse 13, he starts speaking to the Gentiles, and this is a very stern warning, I believe, against replacement theology. This is very popular in seminaries and in churches today where people believe that the church has replaced Israel. I personally don't believe that and we can agree to disagree if you do do believe in replacement theology, but I feel like this chapter just screams out that that is a false teaching and it's very important that we go through this. So he says in verse 13, now I'm speaking to you Gentiles in view of the fact that I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry if I can somehow make my own people jealous to save some of them. For if their rejection brings reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Now, if the first fruits offered up are holy, so is the whole batch. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Now, if some of the branches were broken off, and you, through a wild olive branch, were grafted in among them and have come to share in the rich root of the cultivated olive tree, do not brag that you are better than those branches. But if you do brag, you do not sustain the root, but the root sustains you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. True enough. They were broken off by unbelief, but you stand it by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God does not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Therefore, consider God's kindness and severity. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness towards you. If you remain in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. And even then, if they do not remain in unbelief, they will be grafted in because God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from your native wild olive and against nature or grafted and cultivated into an olive tree, how much more will these natural branches be grafted in on their own? Amen. Can we just move on from that? It's almost as if Paul is speaking a foreign language. What in the world? So we're going to break this down. He's speaking to the Gentiles. It's a stern warning. He starts off by saying, like, if now the first fruits offered up are holy, so is the whole batch. Okay, let's talk about this. Holy. We have to remember that this word holy means set apart for God's use. Like there were certain um, furniture and and and. Things in the temple that just weren't used for every day, like say there's a cup in there or a plate or, or a lampstand, like you could use it for everyday use, but God said, no, set it apart it is holy. What that word means, it's a lampstand. I mean, there's nothing that it could do to earn holiness. Holiness just means set apart for God. Don't use it for ordinary, everyday things. So he's saying now the first fruits offered up are holy, so is the whole batch. This batch that he's talking about refers to Numbers 15. It was an offering cake that the Israelites would offer to God from the first fruits of their grain. So they would bring the grain harvest in, and immediately they would take the first batch, make a cake, and offer it up to God. This first fruit is the initial portion of the commodity that was offered to sacrifice. So whatever came in, they took that first portion, and it was called their first fruits. So he is saying, now if the first fruits, this first grain offered up are holy, Then, so is the whole batch. I'm going to explain how that relates to mankind in just a minute. But he goes on to say, if the root is holy, then so are the branches. Paul uses this analogy for Israel. The forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were set apart. They were holy. Therefore, the whole nation is holy. Just like the grain And the batch was set apart because it was a first fruit. The whole batch is made holy and set apart. Just like the root, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the root of the nation was holy. Well, so are the branches going to be holy. And this holy means set apart. Um, Let me look at my notes. It says, um, also the patriarchs were referred to as roots. They were known as roots in the Old Testament. Paul rests his hope in God's promise to the patriarchs. He's not going to break his covenant with his patriarchs. He loved them. They were set apart. He makes a promise and he does not break his promise. If the root is holy, then so are the branches. Now, note this. Holy does not mean set apart for salvation. You have to come to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior for salvation. He is just saying that if the root is holy and set apart, the nation will be holy because they are the branches and they come from the root. They are God's chosen people. And he will still look at them as his chosen people and he will make a way for them. Now, if some of the branches were broken off, meaning the people that did not accept Jesus, the Jews that did not accept Jesus as Messiah, they were broken off. And you, that's you and I, through a wild olive branch, were grafted in. That is the analogy that God uses for the Gentiles, that we were like this wild root and it got grafted into the plant. So now you and I, it's not a, um, that God chose to move his covenant from a Jewish people to a, a Gentile believing community. It's that we were grafted into that same original covenant. And he's saying, don't brag. Oh, let me see. That We share that same rich root. The rich root, the, the, the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the forefathers, the patriarchs, were set apart. So the whole plant is set apart. So when we got grafted in, we too are holy and set apart. He's saying, don't brag that you're better than those branches that got broken off. You do not sustain the root, but the root sustains you. This root, this original plan, this original covenant that God made with the patriarchs. The Jewish root supports the grafted branches, and that is grace. He's saying no one should boast. Then, in some of these verses I read, he uses an imaginary Gentile opponent. He's done this. He's used these imaginary opponents all through this book, but this time it's an imaginary Gentile opponent that is full of pride, believing that now they are the chosen way, and they are puffed up because they are the special chosen ones. He's saying be afraid of this pride you have, replacing your trust in God, because that's what pride does. It puts this trust in yourself and not in God, and he's saying be afraid of this. This is the very thing that grafted you in was Israel's pride. It allowed you to have a chance to be grafted in. So don't be like them. Don't stumble like them. Can God graft these Jewish people in again? Yes, they were once part of the natural plant. If he allowed us being this wild olive shoot to be grafted in, how much more is he going to allow his chosen people? Think about this for a minute. If you, as a parent, um, you have adopted children and you have birth children and one of your birth children's went away. They stumbled. Just think of the prodigal son. I don't know if he had adopted sons and daughters but he did have a biological son that went wayward and how God shows us what he does when those prodigal children return. He's up on the roof every day searching, looking in the horizon, seeing if his children are coming back. And the second he sees a glimpse of them, he goes and kills the fatted cow and has the biggest feast and brings you back into the family. And he's saying here again, this is what he's going to do. When they return, he's grafting them back in. They were already natural branches. So how much more is his love and his grace going to be poured out on them? He reminds us in verse 25 that this was a partial hardening until the fullness of Gentiles come in. I thought this was interesting and I had to stop here. I know we're going long on time, but those of you that want to hang with this, I think it's interesting. This was just a partial hardening until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. Remember, this fullness is another word, is completeness. I find this so interesting. Stick with me. In the 40s, in Qumran, it was a, is um, a Jewish community. A little shepherd boy finds some ancient scrolls hidden up in a cave by the Essenes. The Essenes were a Jewish sect that were very—you know—they were the separatists. They were so pure, and their writing, like whenever they transcribe the text onto scrolls, the procedure was almost flawless. It was so tedious that there would be no mistakes. They were also known as the the prophets. They had the school of the prophets. So um, if you were a, 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 a follower of Jesus, if you were a Jew and you were part of the Essene community, you were going to learn all the prophets, forward uh, their words forwards and back. And they actually produced prophets. They believed that John the Baptist was an Essene. So these scrolls, these ancient scrolls, are found in the 1940s known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. And they have been translating them and putting them together piece by piece for the last however many years, 80 years. Well, there have been some prophecies from the Essenes themselves that have recently been translated. And what they have found is this Essen community, these scrolls date back from before Jesus' birth. From this Essen community, they believed that the Messiah would be divine and human. That was so extremely rare. And they believed that he would be resurrected. So the things that Christ was, they already predicted this before his birth. Why is this mind-blowing? Because none of the other Jewish sects believed that. Some of them didn't. The Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection. And the rest of them thought that he was going to come as a militant figure. Just a man, like a prophet. But a militant figure that was going to overthrow the world. And so that Israel could set their kingdom back on earth. But the Essenes had it. Another thing that was mind-blowing is they predicted the season the time, the age that this Messiah would come, and they nailed it, everything about the prophecies of Jesus, they nailed with mind-blowing accuracy. Well, they also have prophetic writings about our time. This age that we were living in since Christ's resurrection has been called the age of grace or the church age. And that is where we are talking about this partial hardening of Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. The fullness of the Gentiles is happening during the church age. And it will be over when that fullness, when it is complete. And you know what the Essenes predicted? That this age would be over in the year 2025. That the church age would end They were right on. They were exactly right about their prophecies about Jesus' first coming. I cannot help but wonder if they are going to be spot on and accurate about his second coming. So what I am suspicious of is if in the year around the year 2025 there are two different Jewish calendars, the Essene calendar was different than the traditional Jewish Jewish calendar. So I don't know if there's a little bit of time off because that is so far over my head and I don't understand it all. But Around the year 2025, there is a possibility that this age of grace, that the completion of the Gentiles could come in. And that is when we see a return of Israel's heart towards God and accepting Jesus as Messiah. We are living in exciting times, y'all. So then in verse 28, he says nationally, um, Jewish people became an enemy as a whole as a whole because of their unbelief. That is not to say that there are, is a remnant of people who can and still do choose Jesus. And every day there are people in Israel coming to know Christ, but God has great love for them because of his love for the patriarchs. He loves Israel and his love has never gone away. Even though they have chosen to become an enemy because of their unbelief, he still has love and grace for them. Why? Because his calling and his gracious gifts are irrevocable. He made a calling and he made a promise to Abraham and he is not going to revoke that. Remember, he put Abraham to sleep whenever they made that covenant. Abraham never was expected to hold up his end of the covenant. Jesus or God went through those bloody corpse twice. Once for himself and once for Abraham. Saying, even if you don't end up taking your end of the bargain or holding up your end of the bargain, I still will keep my promise. His calling and gracious gifts are irrevocable. He promised to make them a great nation and to bless the world through them. I love what Dr. Constable says. He says, he did not choose Israel for their goodness, so he won't abandon her for her badness. I'm going to say that again because it's so powerful, even if it's not grammatically correct. He did not choose Israel for her goodness. Therefore, he won't abandon her because of her badness. This ends in a doxology. There was a doxology in chapter 8. Oh, and I loved it. I loved it. And that chapter 8's um, emphasis was on the people of God. And this one in chapter 11, is on the emphasis is on the plan of God. Paul concludes bringing God's plan and his righteousness to humankind. And I'm just going to read it to close and we'll, we'll mention a few more points about it. I love it. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor for who has ever given or who has ever first given to him and has to be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. God's judgment, his knowledge, his wisdom. To be able to construct such a plan that is good for Jew and Gentile and where he is glorified is beyond human comprehension. God is the ultimate source from which all things come. That is what from him is. Everything is from him. He is the ultimate source. The means by which all things happen are through him. And the goal towards which all things are moving are to him. He is the originator, the sustainer, and the finisher of it all. He is working towards the restoration of all things. We are closing today. It was a long one. It was a good one. The next three chapters will be practical guidance. I am excited about that because my hope is that this is going to be a little more easy to comprehend, and things that will be applicable to our lives. So that's exciting. And then we'll end in chapter 16 with a conclusion. This leads me to say we will take Thanksgiving off. We will take Thanksgiving off and meet up next week. But tune in because Newly and I will be doing a podcast together on God's thankfulness and some lessons from the Old Testament and New Testament. So I'll see you next Thursday. We will also have a series of guest writers writing about the thankfulness of this season. And so I'm just really excited. Stay tuned, log on, be a part of the community. Thank you for sticking with us through this. And we will see you in, I'll see you next week with thankfulness, but I'll see you in two weeks with Continuing Romans. Happy reading.